Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to BAFTA and welcome to what I'm sure will prove a fascinating edition of Life in Pictures. I'm Jason Solomons. It's a great pleasure to be with you tonight to look at one of the, uh, the most interesting careers in British cinema, one of the early careers in British cinema, really. We're talking about a Life in Pictures here, and it's, going, it's been going nearly 20 years Hard to imagine. A, uh, a career that's covered blockbusters and indie films, epics and its warm, intimate subjects. It's going to be a fascinating evening. <laughs> Kira Knightley. Right. So do you. Well, thank you very much. Right. Kira Knightley, OBE, I should say, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. I don't feel I should call you something it's very a, important. A, like OBE. OBE. Yeah. Officer. Officer. It's officer, actually. Um, <laughs> how, how was that day? It was only last week. It what, was. It was last week. Nice day out? Lovely day out at the palace. Mm. It's very palace-like. Is it? Yes. It's definitely a lot of gold. It's lovely, yes. I curtsied. I didn't fall over in high heels, which is always important. And so, it's, yeah. it was Prince Charles. It was Prince Charles. And, and, and he asked me what film I was working on now, and I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, tonight's going to go great. Yeah, it's going to be brilliant. Don't worry. Brilliant. You're in very safe hands. It's We've fine. got clips, ladies and gentlemen, yes. to help Kira through Good. navigate this path, which has been, I don't want to shock any, everyone here, it's nearly 20 years. Yeah, oh, God. Um, yes, it's probably over that. I mean, it, yes, but yes, it is. It's, it's over 20 years. Well, it's over 20 years because you certainly asked for your first agent when you were three years old. Yeah, and I got my first part when I was six. Right. Um, but I think film work started 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Which uh, is extraordinary, really, because, I mean, it, it, we, we say it's life in pictures and you tend to watch people's career over the period, but it, in a way, I've known you since you started. I think we've all known her since you started. You've kind of grown up in pictures on screen. Well, looking at that, yeah. It was a bit like life flashing before my eyes. Yeah. Oh, God, yes, it's but true. Life so far. So exactly. my life is just so far. Yes. There's much more to come if you yes. can remember yes. what you're up to. Exactly. Um, it is a life in pictures, ladies and gentlemen. What we'll do is we're going to go back over um, uh, several of those highlights, some of which you've seen there in that montage, uh, and then we'll ask Kira about them. And then um, at the end of that, we'll, we'll throw the, the, the floor open to you to ask your questions as well. But I'm going to hog her for a bit, if that's OK. And it is a life in pictures, so I think we should start with some pictures. Do it. How about that? Yeah. Let's go back to 2002, although for you it's probably 2001 when you were making it. Yes. And I'm thinking the film really was a breakthrough for you, even though you'd done Star Wars, which is kind of a massive thing. Yeah, quite big. Really? I mean, I didn't know what I was playing in Star Wars. And I'm, I'm still, I, I was sort of, I was, I was hired and they didn't tell me what part it was. And, uh, and, and a lot of the times I was uh, Natalie Portman's stand-in. And then sometimes there was this character where I was dressed in the same clothes that Natalie was dressed in. And so I didn't quite know what it was, but, but it was still very exciting. And didn't she do your voice in the end? I think well? she did my voice in the end, yeah. I mean, it was all, it was all quite confusing. And I didn't know whether I was ever in the, like, meant to be in the film or whether they were just using me as the kind of, if because she, she was, I think, 16, so she couldn't legally work in England all the hours, so they'd suddenly bring me in to do wide shots. So it was quite a surprise that there was actually a part there at the end at all. <laughs> it's kind of, it's such a massive undertaking. I was, yeah. and maybe, I don't know if it will pass you by, how big, how big it a was, deal. I was 12. Um, and it was really funny. My mum and dad did not want me to do it at all. They said, it'll be really boring. We don't know what it is. Don't do it. And I was doing a TV thing at that time called Coming Home, where I was playing the young Emily Mortimer. And it was the first sort of character that I'd got. And I was loving every single second of it, like absolutely adoring it. And, and then I went on to Star Wars, and I didn't know what I was doing, and I, it was very big, and I didn't know anyone. And it was it, so, so weirdly, what I remember from that time is coming home, because it was the first time that I felt like I'd acted. And then Star Wars, of course, is the thing that has followed me ever since, because I do look like Natalie Portman, and that's fair enough. <laughs> um, you know, but, but I don't really remember, apart from falling off uh, the back of a golf cart in front of Ewan McGregor, and only being in a bathrobe and knickers and tights and legs go and being the most the most embarrassing experience of my entire life. I, I still remember that. 
Well, that's a good takeaway <laughs> yes. from Star Wars. Uh, I remember you in Gillies McKinnon's Pure with mm. Little Harry Eden, which mm. was very strange. And then The Hole, there was a film called The Hole that you were part of a great young British ensemble. Yeah. In. But I think it was Bendit Like Beckham that sort of, well, it made, a, it made stars of, of Gurinder Chadha, the director, and yep. uh, of course, Parminda, who was playing Jess to your jewels. Yeah. Uh, this this women, women's football team, girls' football team. Yeah. Which, and the clip we're about to see, this is the one where, where you go, where Jess comes down to your house to look for some shoes, and we see some clips of women's football, and you think, Gosh, I mean, that, that, it, that was exotic back then, women's football. Now it's, you know, major reported in all the papers. It's, it, it's grown a lot. We're pushing further, but that's still not completely professional by, you know, professional football standards. So, yes, it is both extraordinary that it's come further and extraordinary that it, it, it hasn't there's, come there's as far as it should. Go. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But you were... You were a star. I mean, she's a star there. It shines off the screen. But also what, what strikes me in terms of the acting is there was a naturalism about you very early on. Yeah. That was, I don't know if that was, if that was your yeah. style. You know, that's my signature Yeah, it was my style. style. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking about then. It was my style. Um, it was based on my friend Bunny, who was my best mate at school, who was a brilliant, 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 brilliant footballer. And she's actually, what's funny is she was in the background. One of the pictures was me and her at school cuddling. And, uh, and she had to stop at a certain point because uh, she wasn't allowed to play with the boys anymore. Um, and so, I mean, I'd played football at school as well, but I, I wasn't that good. And, um, and she was really amazing. So I, there was a little period of time where every character that I played was sort of a version of, of Bun. And that was the main one because of the football. So she was very cool and sort of like, you know, laid back and a bit like that, you know, whatever. And so, yeah, I, I always try to play her. <laughs> well, all the way through. But it, it's, a, it's, not, it's not an easy thing to do, a film like that, because... Football films were not even e easy to make. The, the, the technical aspect of the training and the shooting of it—you had to kind of work quite hard at getting all that right. Yeah, we did. We did like a lot of. Um, we worked with a coach a lot. I mean, I did play football at school, and I was like, you know, when I was nine, I I I, I organised a protest where we did a sit-in across the football field because the boys wouldn't let us play football. So uh, all of the girls uh, protested across the side, and then we were given a girls' football team at primary school. Um, and again, I don't think that I really was very good, but I felt like the righteous anger of like wanting it, you know. And then when I was about 12 or 13, I gave a speech about sexism in sport where I only came fourth at school and I was really pissed off because I thought it was a really good speech. Um, but so it was very much a topic that really, really interested mm. me. So I was 16 when I did the film and it was, it was very, I felt, I felt very strongly about it. Um, but I do remember going up for it and, um, you know, I told people about it and, and it was so embarrassing. It was like, Bend it like Beckham. That sounds awful. <laughs> and what's it about? It's about girls' football. Oh my God! You know, it was. It, it mean, everyone thought that it was going to be shit. Mm. Um, and I think because of that, when I went up for it, I didn't think I was going to get it because it was a film. And then I and 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 I thought it was all a bit silly anyway. So I sort of didn't care. And it's always an, an amazing thing when you go up for something and you don't care or you don't think there's any kind of chance of getting it because suddenly you're very free and easy with it. And I suspect that that's probably what happened there. That's the naturalism. The naturalism through. probably coming through, yeah. But with Pabinda as well, she was, she was older than you. She was, yeah, she was older than me, yeah. She was in her 20s, yeah. And we did, like, so I think our second or third audition was together, because there was quite a few auditions, I think. And um, she's just one of the loveliest women alive and was very lovely to a 16-year-old, you know, a 20-something-year-old to a 16-year-old. She was just instantly lovely and supportive and great. So the vibe on set, and it was also Archie Punjabi was in it as well, mm. playing brilliantly playing the sister. And she's just sort of one of, again, just hilarious and brilliant. So it was, it was a great, it was a great, great vibe. And a lot of the training, we were working with a lot of girls that played for really good football teams. So, so again, it just kind of bonded it really bonded everyone together. Now, of course, at that point, I just thought that that's what films were like. You know, there were all these women and there were all these people and we were all just kind of together in this big team. And that was obviously, you know, just what it was. Yeah, because Gorinda, although she'd done Bargy on the Beach, she wasn't 
it was no, she had no established kind of net no i mean barge on the beach had been huge and i i was i knew about that one so they thought you know thought that one was wonderful but but no it wasn't it wasn't the success that bend it like beckham mm. was so it was very much nobody thought that it and was really quite a fat, her well. films are quite sort of family oriented They're family oriented yeah which i think this and yes exactly they are and i didn't know about that and you're quite right they are very family orientated and you know she gets her mum or like people to come down and like make food and so suddenly like we would be shooting in places and and her family would come down and there'd be these amazing kind of Indian food and then all of the people from the community where we were shooting would come out and they'd bring more food and and again at 16 you just go oh well that's what it's like <laughs> making a film and of course it's not you know that was a really special experience it was I mean and Beckham's name as a brand grew as well because then he qualified they qualified for the world cup with his free well, kick at the last the minute. free kick in the last minute and do you remember that actually at that time he'd broken his foot oh yeah the... so we had something coming up so actually when it came out it was sort of like the best bit of it all the things came and we it That's lined everyone up said, oh, bend it like beckham's really rubbish and then when he got injured it sort of everyone was like oh mend it like beckham because you mend it like beckham yes that was a so big even headline the sports and pages were kind of using your film yeah and it? i remember having to stand there you know with a picture of his foot holding my hands over it for a picture being like yes <laughs> mend the foot you know i mean yeah it was all it was quite something <laughs> <laughs> it, it became a huge hit here and in in, in america mm. it, it seems to be a, a sort of key key text, if you like, to for young women. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, what's kind of extraordinary about it is it was a huge success. It was a huge success here. Their um, North Korea, it was the first Western film that Kim Jong-il allowed to be uh, presented in North Korea, which is quite something. Um, and what's interesting is that it didn't spawn a million other films of such a diverse cast mm. and about female friendship and all the rest of it, you know. So it still sort of stands alone in a way as that kind of thing that a mother might show their teenage daughter and be like, wow, this is, this is yeah. a great thing. And that, I mean, everyone, we, we often expect things to, to open up floodgates when there's yeah. sort of seeding, breaking film, and they, they somehow don't. Although yeah. it has spawned a musical. Have you been to see the musical? I haven't. Like, you haven't seen no, it yet? No, I haven't seen it. I was away when it was on. I didn't see it. Was it good? I, it was very good, oh, yeah. Good. It's I'm really good, glad. the musical. Yes, everyone, sure. if you want to go and see it, tickets sure. are available. Yes. I don't know where they are. <laughs> I don't think it's on anymore. The, music, the music's very good. Yeah. It, it, it made you a star, as I said, quite quickly, I think. Yeah. I mean, definitely, like, so it led to Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. So, and it also led to uh, Love Actually, because uh, Richard Curtis had seen my stomach and went, gosh, that's quite a stomach. So the whole of the costume for Love Actually, which was my the wedding dress, which was, was about my stomach. It doesn't I look like that anymore, unfortunately. I was I was looking at it going, bloody hell, they're <laughs> impressive. They're not there anymore. Oh, well. But it got you love actually, which is it did get know. me love actually, and and you know and and I remember going up for Pirates of the Caribbean, and again I, I was auditioning, so it wasn't a dead cert, but that was very much obviously it put me on that radar, mm. definitely. And that's I mean you've done even though you've done Star Wars and fallen in front of you and McGregor off a golf. Yeah, I don't think it. anyone noticed me in Star Wars, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I had done it. Yeah, they did do it. They did notice you in Pirates of the Caribbean. They definitely did. Yes, which was was huge, and there was two. I think it was four, five. I think there might have been five now. There's yeah, five. I think I was in three with a tiny bit in another one. But yes, uh, yeah. So it was, yeah, it was very much sort of. I was seventeen when I did uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. So I think, I think this uh, Bend It Like Beckham had only just come out, and I auditioned. And again, you know, going back to that thing of, it, it's really interesting when you don't care or you don't think you've got a chance in auditions. In general, I think auditions are very strange things. And I remember just being really angry at the idea that I had to go for, for the audition for Pirates of the Caribbean because I was never going to get a Hollywood film. It was so absurd. And I remember the day that I went up for the audition, I was late. There was a problem with the tubes and I was late. And I'm one of those people that's perennial. I've got to be early. Like, I can't handle being late. So I was in a bad mood because I was late. And again, and I just thought, well, this is stupid. I'm now feeling bad. And I'm never going to get it. And this is really stupid. And I think I was just angry in the audition. <laughs> and weirdly, it worked. <laughs> well, Elizabeth okay, cool. Swan's quite She's angry. quite angry, yeah. isn't she? Yeah. yeah, so, yeah. Well, with being tied up a lot. As well, well, exactly, in corsets. Yeah, you would I mean, be angry, wouldn't you? You would be angry. Yeah. Although, nice shooting location. Lovely. Yeah. Yes, don't be angry in the Caribbean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the interesting thing about it is, is, is that stardom. You know, suddenly, we had a very young British star mm. doing Hollywood 
thing. thing. Does that change? Does that change your your life? Does it change your you not not your responsibility, but you you know you were doing a British indie film and then suddenly you're you're in, in Hollywood. Yeah, well, it was interesting, Bendit Like Beckham, because it was a British indie film, and here it was seen as a mainstream film. And of course, in America, it was seen as a small British indie film. So I think instantly people here were like, oh, you're in that mainstream thing. And of course, that was going to do well. And of course, and it was quite strange because it really wasn't that. I mean, I think the kind of major stardom didn't hit until it was weirdly. It was actually even after Pirates of the Caribbean came out. It was I can remember it exactly. It was the day after the King Arthur premiere, which was not a film that did brilliantly well. Mm. Um, uh, and suddenly there were 10 men outside my house with cameras and they didn't leave. In fact, they multiplied by about three or four times uh, for about five years. So it was actually the day after the premiere for, for King Arthur. So weirdly, these two, I was still kind of quite free and easy. And even in Love Actually, when you're part of an ensemble. Yeah, but Love Actually didn't do well when it came out. Um, I mean, it did quite well here, but it really didn't do very well in America. Um, so it, Love Actually is a super interesting one because it grew and grew and grew mm. and grew. And, and now it, it's a Christmas classic. It's a Christmas classic, and, it, and it's weird that it really didn't do very well in America, and then America was the place where the Christmas classic thing really grew. So suddenly I was sort of, you know, it was this thing that hadn't done as well as everybody imagined, and sort of five years later, I mean, now it's sort of the number one thing in America that I'm asked about. Mm. Every Christmas, everyone Every Christmas. watches. You're like, yeah. it's a wonderful life, you and Elf. Oh, there you go, yeah. yeah. Perfect great. combo. In great, com in great company. Great company, yeah. <laughs> The one that, for, for me, made you not just a star, but also showed you were a terrific actress was Pride and Prejudice. And that's where I want to go next, what you did for Joe Wright, 2005. Uh, and it was, you know, it, it was muddy, it was wet, it was raining, it was a brilliant Lizzie Bennet. The first of many times on film I tell people off. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I do it quite well. That's I why I get cast a lot. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like Elizabeth Swan was it's, already. Angry. Yeah, no, no. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm quite good at telling people off. Yeah. <laughs> you were 20 years old. Doing I was that. 19. 19. Doing when you it. Shot yeah. it. So um, it's an, but it, it seems an extraordinarily mature performance. Was it, it? Is it the fact that Lizzie Bennet was just right for you then? Um, I had been obsessed by Pride and Prejudice since I was about 11. I had uh, a doll's house that was Pemberley and a cottage that was Longbourn. It's Longbourn, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, and I had all the, I used to write letters from the sisters to each other in tiny little, they were like that, and they, they, my mum still has them. They're still in the doll's house. I mean, I, I think it was a character that I... I I had I mean like many people with that character you get completely obsessed by her and I I was completely obsessed by her um, and I think to the point where when my agent said uh, they want to offer it to you I said please turn it down because I can't I can't do that that's too frightening I'm not going to do that and luckily she didn't listen to me um, <laughs> um, yeah but so I, I yeah I ju I just loved her so much. Well, it, it comes across the, the, the respect that you have for, and for the text, but everyone had as well. I think, although Joe Wright, I think, had never actually read no, any I'm sure Jane Joe Austen hadn't. in no, his life. No, of course he hadn't. No, no. I mean, no. I mean, he'd obviously read it before we did it, but no, I don't think he'd he'd read it. And um, you know, we had a really funny. Uh, he did. He wanted somebody else for for Elizabeth Bennet, and at that point, for me, uh, Pride and Prejudice. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean had come out and it had done really well. So I think the, the producers basically said to him, look, if you take Kira, then you get X amount of money. And if you have the unknown, it's going to be a lot less. So he went, oh, fuck, all right. Um, and he actually flew over to Montreal, where I was doing a film, and was sort of forced to meet me. And his plane was delayed. And I was getting up very early the next morning to go filming. And I didn't want to do it. This was still at the point where I was like, no, 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 I'm not doing it. And he was just fucking angry. And we had this disastrous meeting at about 10 o'clock at night. Um, where we hated each other. And I sort of said to my agent, Lindy, like, absolutely, oh, my God, that was awful. And he clearly said that was awful. And somehow, once again, the producer said, no, really, you'll get more money if you have this girl. So maybe when you're back in London, you should just meet each other again. And we met each other at the Covent Garden Hotel. And um, suddenly realised, you know, he's a little shit, and I'm a little shit. And, uh, and the, end of the, the end of the meeting was basically him looking at me, and at that point, I thought it was really cool to have very low trousers, really baggy, really low. And he was like, Kira, pull your trousers up. And I turned around and went, fuck off. And he went, brilliant. <laughs> and that's been our relationship ever, ever since. since. Yeah. 
kind of done you all right. Yeah, that's, it's, that's, it's all right. That's yeah. the, how the muse was born. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't just, I mean, no, that, that collection in that film. You know, there's, there's you, there's Kerry Mulligan, there's Rosamund Pike, Jenny yeah. Malone, there's, I mean, Brenda Blethyn and Donald Sutherland and Judy Dench yeah. in there. It, no, it, it, the it cast, caught a little... It, it did, and, you know, there was some amazing, I mean, I can't remember who it was, but so what, I, I feel like it was Tallulah Riley who'd been so obsessed by the book that she'd never acted before. She played Mary Bennett, and she just sat outside uh, the casting director's office until the casting director saw it. You know, I feel like all of us, in one way or another, had been completely obsessed by it. And, you know, and, and for me, at 19, it was sort of the first time I'd worked with people or, or been around people who were around my own age who were all completely obsessed with the same thing, which was acting. So, you know, I became very good friends with Kerry Mulligan on that and very good friends with Ros Rosamund Pike on that. And we all just became this and got a boyfriend out of it, which is always nice. Um, you know, we, we became unbelievably close. That, they're not contractual. They're they? not contractual, but they should be because sometimes <laughs> it's a good thing. Um, and, you know, Simon Woods, who played Mr. Bingley, is still one of my closest friends. You know, so it, it was like a, it was a very special, again, a little bit like Bend It Like Beckham, one of those times that you just think is normal and actually is, is really quite magical. You know, there were lots of, Joe put on lots of parties. He's very into that kind of idea of everybody bonding together. And we had this sort of two-week rehearsal period before, which is very rare in films, where we, we just hung out and we stuck together and we were stupid together. And, and, you know, I think his whole idea of just making it a bit scruffy and a bit kind of lived in. But well, it had that true, it had the muddy hems, it muddy had the geese and, everywhere. Yeah, and, and he didn't want the hair to be, the hair was all a bit funny and a bit fucked up and a bit, you know, it was all, it felt real. And I think he really kind of got that energy of, of these five girls in their, all of their mess. Yeah you know, which he kind of celebrated. And Donald Sutherland is sort of calmly looking over it all. Donald Sutherland just being extraordinary the whole time, yeah. <laughs> the scene that we saw with the rain, I mean, yeah. was it raining? How much No, uh, it extra? was all, it was a lot of extra rain. It was freezing cold. That, all I remember about that is, but actually that scene was, uh, was Matthew's audition piece. Um, and so I'd done it with quite a few different people. And, and Joe, and I think this is a reason that I, I love working with him, is because he loves dialogue at speed. You earn your pauses. You just, it, it's got to be people think quickly, they speak quickly. You know, that pace is really, really important to him. And it's something that actually over my career I, I've loved. And it's intrinsically why, you know, I love 1940s films. And you just hear these spitfire, you know, these people that just whip off this dialogue. Mm. And, and so Joe, with that scene, it was the, in all of the, the audition pieces, he was just like faster, 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 faster. And it was Joe's idea that, you know, it's this argument that comes towards this kiss. And then the kiss and the realisation of the kiss is the moment that the pause, you earn that pause. It's a very special pause. Mm. And, you know, so throughout the three films that I've done with Joe, what I've loved is you find those earned pauses and they can be kind of magic each time. Well, let's have another look at one of those pauses okay. uh, from Joe, uh, with, with you, working with you. Uh, it, this is from Atonement, 2007, a couple of years later, but you're sort of on a roll now as the Joe Wright muse and troupe kept going. Yeah. Um, a fabulous film, the first half of which, the first third of which is in a country house, and you've got to wear that amazing swimsuit. Yes. With the town. Yeah. Um, but then the film changes into a different register and a different shift. It's, it, oh, God, it, it's, it was so well... It, it's just a piece of writing, but also, you know, that idea that two people, after all that time and so much history, try and communicate, and there are no words that you could possibly find that can communicate it. So, look, it actually makes me cry thinking about it. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, and, it, yeah, I, I loved playing That's that. what I love, the spoon. The spoon and the hand and the not knowing and the everything, you know, and we actually... I remember doing it, and I can't remember whether it, were, it was the grip or whether it was one of the sparks, but, you know, one of those very manly jobs. And he had tears running down his face, and it was like, oh, OK. Uh, you know, it was, yeah. There's a bit of brief encounter. Totally in, brief, uh, yes, totally, of course. A tiny flesh and bellum. A tiny flesh and bellum, yes. Um, terribly, terribly, you know, all of that. Um, no, and, you know, that was uh, when Joe, when, when originally talked to Joe about it, he said, you know, I don't want to do it naturalistic. I want to do it in this kind of very 40s, clipped English style. You know, he's always, he, he's always had a problem with naturalism. 
or he, he's always felt its confines. So, you know, I think that was the first time that he was really going, I want to do something that isn't trying to be naturalistic. So uh, we were all given homework of 1940s English films. So Celia Johnson, obviously, Brief Encounter, you know, all of that. You know, just that idea of culturally, we're very interesting in what we don't say, mm -hmm. you know, and how we deal with, oh, dear, that's terrible, isn't it? Somebody died. That's terrible. Oh, well, you know, that, that kind of quality. Um, <laughs> but there's been a war, you know, there's been there's shell been shock. There's been a war, so everybody's dying. Yeah, <laughs> and we won't talk it. about it. We're just going to carry on, you know, and... Uh, it was it was great fun, kind of having sort of actually letting go of the shackles of naturalism in a funny kind of way, and um, and going for this very clipped, very English sort of thing. It, but it is a film as there that makes you cry when you coming out of coming out of the fountain, yeah, which is you know very sexy scene. Still, it's the film very, is very sexy. It's very sexy. I mean that yeah, sex scene up against a bookshelf. I mean yeah, in a green it, dress. in a green dress that broke every single time because yeah, it was yes. I mean yeah, it is. But isn't that one? You know, that's I think that's why it sort of works because it's repression. You allow everything to kind of bubble underneath the surface, and and with that particular character, she was. She was sort of atrophied, you know, she couldn't move forward, she couldn't move back, she couldn't express herself. It was a sort of bubbling, bubbling emotion, bubbling sexuality that, that she didn't know what to do with. So it, and it just sort of burst out. So performing it, it was really interesting because it was all about keeping the lid on, you know, keeping the lid on it. But something like the touch of a hand can be so... There were massive gestures within that tiny list. And then, yeah. of course, there was that amazing scene that Joe did, which you weren't involved in. I wasn't involved in, but the amazing, the, yeah, the in Red Car. Yeah, yeah, the beach scene. Yeah, which, which, you know, I mean, I think, again, that time, again, at that, that period, what he did so brilliantly was that he, we all lived together in a farmhouse in Shropshire. You know, we were all absolutely connected in this team thing where we were, you know, we were as close as, as could be. And again, James, the brilliant James McAvoy, you know, I mean... I, I loved working with mm. him. He was just extraordinary. But the, going back to the, the fountain scene, that's another one with pace. It was just, he was like, you know, just keep it up, keep it up. You think fast, you speak fast. Keep it up, keep it up. You know, it's like, it's sort of almost sort of bullets flying. Um, so that kind of idea of that pace is, again, something that I still love. Yeah, but that love. was sort of more innocent in that time because it was before the war, so everyone's kind of a bit more sort of 30s yeah, you don't and have all of the... and then there's that kind of... The volume of things there. not to say. Yeah, it's yeah. a beautiful, beautiful film, Atonement, I think. It is. Which, uh, and it did, it, did, well. it did very well. I remember opening at Venice Film Festival and yeah. went on to do very well here at BAFTA. And, uh, but it, 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 was, it was a film that sort of had a, a youthfulness to it, even though it was about very serious things, because these are young people. It's youth dying. Yeah, it's <laughs> very, very, very sad. So you become emblematic of a, of, a, of a, I mean, even uh, Pride and Prejudice as well was seen as a sort of, it had a, a young people's kind of vibe to it and yeah. energy to it. And there was a part well, of Well, I think with Pride and Prejudice, it was the first time that they, they cast, you know, the book is based around characters who are 19, so, or more about that, you mm. know, late teens, early 20s. And it was the first time on film that it had been shown as being as young as it was, which actually, when you go back and you read the book, it makes sense of a lot of how they behave is, of course, because they're so young and it's the first time, you know. So I think that's sort of why it, it, made, it made a lot of sense. And then you're right, you know, the tragedy of atonement being they died, <laughs> you know, the waste of, of that youth. And, and the power of storytelling as well, because your, your little sister in it, um, the, the, amazing oh, the amazing Saoirse Ronan, yeah. I think it was her first role. I don't think it was her first one. It might have been her second one, but fucking hell. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think she was like 12... You know, and you just think, oh, God. But you've, but you've done that. You were like, oh, yeah, I No, no, but there are, some, there are some talents that are just born whole, and I can't claim to be a talent that was born whole. You know, uh, she came out that way, and she's still as brilliant. Were you getting better as an actress? What were you doing to get better as an actress? Were you training? Were you having lessons? Were you having, doing coaching? The, the roles were coming thick and fast. It seemed you were working all the time. I you was just still, working all the time. I was watching people. I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't doing classes. Um, I didn't have the time. I was literally going back to back to back film. Um, I was desperately trying to pick up anything that I could possibly pick up from anyone and not particularly picking it up. You know, I mean, I, I remember at, uh, somewhere before then I did a film called... Uh, called, oh God, I've forgotten, The Jacket. With Adrian oh, uh, With Adrian Brody, yes, thank you. And, um, and I remember watching him and just not, I couldn't quite, I just couldn't figure out, like, you know, the, the camera would get closer and he'd get more relaxed. And, and 
I just, I couldn't, I couldn't figure out how that happened, you know, and everybody says acting is relaxation, acting is relaxation. Fucking try it, you know, you're like, oh my God, yeah, and the more you try and relax, the more you go, oh God, I'm feeling really tense, you know, so, I mean, I, and then again, you know, Judy, Judy Dench in that, actually, do you know what she gave me in that, which was, she forgot her lines. <laughs> And she forgot, she couldn't remember them. She, I mean, and not, this wasn't, she was just a couple of lines and there's a big scene in Pride and Prejudice, I think, where we have a fight and she just couldn't remember it. And she was getting really frustrated and it was sort of, as a 19-year-old, one of the most amazing things to see because it was the understanding that you can't be perfect all the time and still it cuts together and it's absolutely brilliant, you know, and she would go back <laughs> on a particular part that she couldn't quite remember and she'd just do it again and again and again and again. But seeing somebody of that, you know, that might make mistakes, I think that was sort of one of the most important lessons of that point. Not necessarily that I picked it up at that point, but, but that you go, oh, actually, mistakes are fine. Yeah, They're and actually important. you can learn from them and you can pick yourself up. Yeah, and if you're trying to be perfect the whole time, then it, I mean, you just plateau yeah. and you're not alive in the moment. Do you think there was pressure to be perfect? As I said, you were such a big star and so important for the British film industry, and important for people in this room, for BAFTA. Um, you get built up quite quickly to be perfect, on and off screen. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, which is always, uh, it's never going to work. Mm. You know, I mean, it doesn't exist, perfection, so it doesn't work. Um, but yeah, yes, I think I was absolutely stuck in that young girl thing of, you know, I'd been, I'd been a straight A student, I'd been top of the class, I'd been, I'd never had a detention, I'd, you know, I was absolutely on set every day, on time, I knew my words, I'd done my research, I, you know, it was desperately that desperation for that A star the entire time. And, you know, and then life comes crumbling down and you find out that that's not how it works and that that's kind of impossible, but that takes a while. And, yeah. you know, this was my period, this little bit of going, oh, fuck, it's crumbling. What to do? I'm weirdly nasty about you, you know. In, 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 yeah, there in was a lot of very, very nasty stuff. You know, I mean, I think at, at the same time that I had this out, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean 2 was coming out and uh, that was not... Uh, I didn't see it, um, but uh, I, I hear uh, that, you know, the reviews for me weren't great. No. Um, and Pirates of the Caribbean 3, the reviews for me were definitely not great. So, you know, it was a really funny time where I had these films that were Oscar nominated and they were seen as being brilliant and it was all seen as being great. And then on the other side, I, I had this, these films that were commercially just doing brilliantly and yet I was also seen as being shit and my body was I was getting um, I don't know modeling contracts where you're being told you're beautiful but at the same time I've got major papers saying actually her body should come with a health warning because she's sick and she's anorexic and she's making other people sick and she's disgusting and you have her face is beautiful and then you have her face is disgusting and her mouth looks like a bangle and you know, everything was really extreme. And I was, I mean, atonement, I was 21, you know, and you're suddenly in the middle of all of this stuff and the world went definitely yeah, crazy. And when you, you also did pay, pay attention to it in a way, it seeped through to you. You can't somehow. not at 21. Yeah. I mean, the world, you, you're becoming at 21, you know, and all you really want to do is fit in. So it, it's impossible, I think, for anyone not to take it on. And of course, you know, go if you are, the A star or the A student, you know, um, and you're the girl and you've been taught that you've got to be perfect, all you want to do is please absolutely everybody. But of course, when you're working with such, like, you, you can't, mm. <laughs> you know, I mean, you can't be thinner and fatter at the same time. <laughs> it's, and and then, then you get a big role and you've got to take a massive role on. And yeah. people sort of, even before you've done it, people say, oh, she's never going to cope with that. She's never going to handle that. Yeah, I mean, and I think I've always had a fuck you attitude. <laughs> so, and that's helpful um, mm -hmm. sometimes, uh, you know. So I think with Pride and Prejudice, you know, when I got that, everyone was like, this is terrible. She can't act and that's going to be dreadful publicly. Um, and so I thought, well, fuck you. Uh, but it was also the first time that I worked with the dialogue coach, Jill McCulloch, who I've worked with since Pride and Prejudice. And... and uh, in a way, over my career, she's been the sort of stable, and if you want to know about acting lessons, she's been my acting coach. She'd fucking hate me saying that. She's like, I don't do that, piss off. But actually, she has, she's been the you person. You take your lessons where you can. What yeah. about when the one we're gonna, the, the other, your hat trick with Joe Wright, uh, Anna Karenina, which is a massive role. You mm. know? And he was then, as you said, he, he was eschewing naturalism. He went, he went full, 
full non-naturalistic with, yeah. with Anna Karenina's set it all on a sort of sound stage with a circus stage going on. And well, his original plan was to do it in a naturalistic way, and then they found that the budget was twice what the budget he had was, so suddenly he had to be very creative. Well, it was very... I mean, I came down to the set and I remember seeing you there, but I, do you yeah. remember what always struck me? And the scene we're going to see here is actually, I think, a scene that I was there when you were shoot, shooting with a young man called Aaron Johnson at the time. And um, he... Uh, he was Vronsky and you, Anna. But I remember you walking around with, the, with a big folder of notes. So you'd had all your hair and makeup done and you had this massive folder of notes. It was, it was like a ledger. everybody. And it really, I mean, I thought you were going to hit me with it. Yeah. But it had, like, tabs, and you were really immersed in it. And I thought, God, that's really... You're really researching here. You're really making sure. And Jo said, yeah, she's really... She yeah, knows I terrified absolutely him. I, was, I almost knew the book, like, off by heart. Fucking Tolstoy. I fucking knew a Tolstoy book <laughs> off by heart, yeah. Um, it was a bit much. Bit A-star student there again. Right, but yeah. that, that was... I didn't know that, that was your method, you know. Well, it wasn't. So Anna Karenina came... Uh, so at some point then, and it all gets a bit hazy, I did my first theatre job, um, which was a version of The Misanthrope. And that was the first time that I'd seen actors prepare. Mm. Um, and I'd been in a, a, a rehearsal room for five weeks. I worked with the amazing director, who is still a great friend, Thea Sharrick. And also her, her um, assistant director at that point was Rob Ike. And so Rob was put onto me, who was still a friend. Uh, and, just, and, and basically, he was my acting coach. And uh, so I'd learned a lot from that experience. Um, and then I think after that, I'd done Dangerous Method, which was like, uh, which was a film about sort of Jung and Freud and their first patient um, who suffered from hysteria. And I'd done so much research about that. And I found she was that a real person. She was a Sabine. real person, but also what an interesting, you know, the you chance Viggo to... Mortensen and Michael Fassbender. Yeah, and, and, the, and David Cronenberg and the, the, the chance to explore Jung and Freud. And I'd never, I didn't know anything about them. And that was extraordinary. And, and I suddenly realised that a lot of the problems that I'd been having set on set, this is when I was in the theatre, I realised it was stage fright. And that actually major preparation helps st stage fright. Because you suddenly, with stage fright, what happens is that you clam up. So any ideas that you think that you might have in the moment, it's impossible to find them. Because you're just sort of going, I, I don't know what to do. And, and people are looking at me. And, I, I, and you just literally. And so I found if I have a big binder, and I have lots of, uh, you know, a lot of it is because I'm dyslexic. So everything has to be color coded. Otherwise, I can't see it. Um, if I have it all there, then I know that if I'm feeling that thing, and I know I've had ideas that I want to kind of play with, but suddenly I'm terrified and I can't remember them, I can go into my big binder and I can find all of the ideas that I've gone through. That film did well internationally and had Oscar nominations. And oh. then we've talked about Kerry Mulligan and BAFTA nominations, of course. And, we, and you have uh, Benedict and you had you know, Kerry Mulligan, and we talked about earlier, and Joe Wright. Do you feel that there's a sort of British kind of group that go, that, that we do, you know, we do, we do pretty well around the world. Yeah, we do. You know, coming out of here, in this room, we, we, we kind of spread the word and, we, and people love what we do. Is there, do you get together and think, you know, are we, we a close-knit crew as we go around the place? You work together a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's very, you go back to that Pride and Prejudice, you know, cast, and, and just the girls, me, Carrie and Roz, um, and obviously the brilliant Jenna Malone and, and, and um, Tallulah Riley as well. But, you know, it, yeah, they've done extraordinary work. Like, Joe really knows when he casts. He knows what he's doing, yeah. you know. Um, Aaron Taylor-Johnson, he's done all right as well, hasn't yeah. he? Um, yeah, I, I don't know why that is. Um, I don't know why no, that the is. The Americans don't sort of say, well, that, we, we want you because you Brits are so good. At, no one's ever said to you that. I think why? we're cheaper, <laughs> <laughs> um, which always helps. Um, uh, no, they haven't. I mean, no, I, I actually, I, I don't know what the answer to that is. You know, I mean, I, I think each of us um, is, you know, I can only talk from, from work, having worked with Roz and having worked with Kerry twice and, and Benedict twice, you know, they're obsessed by what they do. Um, they're obsessed by getting better. Nobody is sitting there going, oh, fuck it, this is, this is how I do it, this is what I'm doing. You know, it, it, that, it, it's an absolute obsession with craft. Um, and obviously, I'm sure that there are many Americans, and I can't speak to them, but, you know, uh, Emily Blunt, another one who will probably be in the biggest film of probably this year, yeah. I should imagine, you know, is, is another you're one. Older, old, with Emily Mortimer as well. With em old, Emily Mortimer, exactly, you know. I, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I think... I like working in England. 
Um, I like because you've always come. You always do come back. Always. Yeah, I know where my home is, and I know which culture I'm really interested in. Um, and I like working here. I mean, I like. I think we have amazing crews. We have not that, again. That's not to say that there aren't in different places in the world, but um, but uh, the work ethic I think is really great. And and I think that there's a real sense. It's never oh I've made it, so that's enough. Mm. It's always how can I achieve more? How can I get better? It's not like I just want to sit here and we'll all just earn the money and fuck it. Yeah. It really matters. You know, all of those people that, and it's ridiculous to say, but when you're making something, it feels like it's the most important thing in the world. Of course it isn't. But for that moment, I don't know really how you create anything without in that moment thinking that it is. Well, you're, yeah, you're believing it. And I remember saying to you years ago, oh, I'd, well, I'd love to see one do doing some sort of French art house thing for a French auteur that you'd be great at that. And now you, you sort of are, even though it's not it's French or French. It's not in French. <laughs> yeah. But you are playing a French. I'm definitely you're playing, yes, playing Colette. A French. Yes. It is your new film, your yeah. current film that's out here in the UK, the first week of January, mm -hmm. um, which is uh, produced by uh, Stephen Williams and Elizabeth Carlson, who yep. will be honoured by BAFTA in this very uh, august institution. Uh, uh, come, come the awards, and, and, and let's hope Colette is too, because it's a beautiful piece of work. Thank Looks you. absolutely gorgeous. Uh, and I think it's a, a, another hugely complicated role for you. Just tell us about her character, because I mean, she's probably very famous in France as a novelist. Yeah. But wasn't at the time, wasn't mm. given her dues. Uh, well, no, I mean, I didn't know anything about her before. I mean, I'd read uh, one of her novels, Cherie, and I'd read Last of the Cherie, which I totally loved, mm. but um, really didn't know anything about her life. Um, and so in this film, it's just dealing with her first marriage where uh, her husband, Willie, who was the most famous man of the day, pretty much. I mean, if you think of Belle Epoque, Paris, um, that being kind of the height of, uh, I mean, the, the center of the cultural world, and they, Willie was the most famous person there. So she, she married this unbelievably famous man who had a factory of writers, and she joined his factory and just happened to be a genius. Is that fair to say? I think she was pretty um, good. And he took credit for her first four novels. And so the film is the story of, of that relationship um, and how she eventually understands that she needs her own voice and she needs her name on her work. It's a sexy film as well. I sure, think. yeah. I mean, there. yep, there's sex. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, interest, it was sort of, I think the main challenge of it, I suppose, was uh, it starts when she's 19 and finishes when she's 34. So that's quite a growth, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and with me and Wash, it was uh, the director, it was, it was just trying to chart that and knowing exactly where we were. Um, he got me to watch a Sissy Spacek film called The Coal Miner's Daughter, um, which is a wonderful film. And he sort of said, you know, do that, but way less. And I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> cool. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, it's just about a person growing into their own skin. Mm, which I, because I do think it's your most, A, because it's the one that you've sort of done most recently, so technically it is probably your most mature role. You are at your oldest doing it, given that we have... I am at my oldest, yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. given how young we've seen you do it, but in the context, I think there is a growth in, in that film, and I do yeah. I feel that this film is a step forward for you in terms of what roles you, you might get in the future. You, you sort of become someone else in this. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, in, a, I'm in a nice place where because I'm known for period films I'm sort of in a position where I can kind of break that as well so the the style of acting is actually very much more into that American naturalism style that you wouldn't normally traditionally put into that English period film so if you take imitation game it's much more of that traditional kind of English period film acting which I love by the way that's not to do it down you know but but with Colette I think we were all quite interested in breaking that down and actually, you know, to go against where Joe was going and the stylization thing was actually going back towards an English, uh, uh, an, a sort of more American naturalism sort of vibe, but in within this French period mm -hmm. context. It's a great French period as well. If it's it, a great if French period. If you're going to live in, in a period in France, you kind of go, go for that one. Not when they were chopping people's Not heads the off, terror. you mean? No, no. this one is <laughs> yeah. it recovered nicely, right? Exactly. In cafes, everything. Lovely. And a lot of sex, you know. A lot of sex. Not sex. Yes. Sex with people and yeah. dancing as well in this one. And dancing, you? yeah. I come out of a sarcophagus uh, dressed as some sort of kind of Cleopatra-esque vibe, um, which was interesting. It, you know, we, it, was, uh, it, 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 was, it, it was shot for a lot less than any of the other period films that we've seen, so that meant that we had less time to do it, which obviously meant that we had less uh, rehearsal time, so I think I got three rehearsals for oh, wow. my dance sequence in it, which, you know, again, maybe you haven't seen it, maybe you have. 
That was quite hairy, mm -hmm. um, but you know, it happened. Well, whatever the budget was, it looks a million dollars. Yeah, million, which is you know, the most important yeah, thing. Well, yeah. More than a million dollars, a lot more than a million dollars. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in a good way. Um, and so do you, you're fantastic in Claire as well. I wish you the best of luck with that when it comes out. Thank and you. a big success here. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I have hogged Kira for a very long time. So it is my turn to, to throw, her, throw her open to the masses, to the people. Well, there are millions of questions. Uh, so I'm going to start with the gentleman in the red T-shirt, if that's allowed. Um, Kira, thank you so much for uh, entertaining even so far. My question to you is actually, how has motherhood changed your creative choices? Because obviously, Michael Douglas said in 1984 when he, he did more romance in the stone because he felt there were movies out there he couldn't take his child to. So I'm just curious to know how has motherhood shaped your, how will it shape you, your creative choices in the future? Oh God, I've been really selfish about that one. I mean, the, the, you know, the Nutcracker. She can maybe see that. Um, no, I mean, I, it's more literally where it's filmed has now is going to have a big impact. So I've had to let something go next year that I really wanted to do, but it was in a place that I couldn't take her to that didn't um, have the facilities that I would have needed. Um, so that's, that's going to be majorly, you know, suddenly decisions where I've never, it's never been about where something's shot is suddenly going to be, no, I can't take her to the middle of nowhere. Um, and also, you know, the time frames that I can do it in. She goes to school in September, um, which means that I'm going to be very much trying to find work around her summer holidays um, or around her holidays so that we're not um, separated for too long. You know, so that's going to have implications on what sort of projects I can do and stuff like that. But as far as the, uh, the actual creative side, there's enough kids' films out. She doesn't need to watch me in kids' films. <laughs> <laughs> is it, I mean, to add to it, does it change the style of acting? Do you, you as a person? Do you know what I mean? Just as a, I mean, you, you, there's, there's facets now of human beings and women. I'm assuming that there are quite are. a few parents in this room. Mm. I mean, it explodes everything, doesn't mm. it? So, I mean, everything's been exploded and you build it back up. And yes, of course, that's going to completely change the way that I see the world and therefore the way that I, I portray characters, definitely. Mm. Thank you for your question. There was, um, I think there was one in the same row, or roughly, but, and then... Hi, Kira. Um, you're such an inspiration um, with what you stand for. Um, and I was just wondering, for sort of young women, I'm 18 going on 19, um, what advice would you give um, for someone sort of pursuing a professional career, not necessarily in film, but just in the world we live in today, what advice would you give? Ooh. Keep fighting. Never stop fighting. Uh, they'll tell you it's impossible. Don't fucking listen to them. <laughs> That's what I go for. <laughs> Is that across the board, not just acting? You say, you know, no, not just acting. Of course not just acting. You know, um, I think we've all seen all of the statistics. We've all seen the pay differences for the same jobs. You know, it's all out there. There's a fight to be had. Um, I think what's been really inspiring in your generation is that you're taking it on. You know, you've all stood up and gone, this is not good enough. And you're right, it's not good enough. Um, and so therefore, you must, you must fight and be loud and not sit down and not be told that it's OK, because it isn't, and not be told that it's normal, because it's not. Um, yes, thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much for such amazing and beautiful work. Um, you're obviously drawn to, to classical literature. Um, what would be your dream roles in, in that type of literature in the future that you'd love to play? Oh, God, I don't know. Um, in that literature, I'm not sure. Um, it's always been Josephine Bonaparte. Or Joan of Arc, obviously. <laughs> Actually, I'd go for the Frenchies. Yeah, um, yeah uh, jo Josephine Bonaparte has, has been an obsession. Or Josephine de Beauharnais, when she's really interesting and she's locked up in, uh, in Le Calme. Fucking fascinating. So that part of history, I love. The terror, actually. I know it you doesn't have many laughs, <laughs> but, you know, but really interesting. <laughs> there you go. So if you've got a script. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The, the two, two people on the end there, we'll go to the, the, the lady with the hand up first. Hiya, thank you so much. Um, what's been your most challenging character to prepare and how did you overcome those challenges? Um, I, I mean, I think it was Anna Karenina. Um, and again, it goes back to that technical thing. I mean, partly because when we first started talking about it, it was meant to be a naturalistic version, which was a whole different way of thinking about it. Um, and then when it suddenly became 
what it became. Um, you know, I think I'd prepared the idea of a character, which probably would have been a hell of a lot easier shooting in the way that David Cronenberg shoots. So he does two, three shots maximum. You do one or two takes maximum. And then you can kind of play these parts that are really sort of fraught and tense because as far as energy levels go, you know, they're kind of there and gone. By preparing Anna Karenina in the way that I had, um, I hadn't anticipated 35 takes of turning into a mirror and getting that tear to drop exactly at that point when you turn into that slither of mirror reflecting you and that light hitting exactly that. You know, I, I hadn't. So I think for those two reasons, I think that one was the most difficult. The gentleman in front of you with a scarf. Uh, thank you for a very uh, informative and inspirational talk. Um, I just wanted to ask, um, you've worked in classical literature, independent film, feature films, and you know big Disney productions. We now have the emergence of uh, virtual reality and uh, new immersive mediums. I just wanted to gauge um, if you had any experience with that or any interest in it, because um, it's particularly interesting to find out whether actors are looking towards that new medium for... Um, for their careers or aware of it even? I'm a technophobe, so I'm probably the wrong person to ask that question to. Um, no, I, uh, I mean, I've done a lot of green screen. Um, <laughs> and that's really tricky. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I think probably it will go towards virtual reality. I mean, I was actually weirdly talking to a friend today who just bought these virtual reality goggles and we were both trying to figure out you can watch films with them now, can't you? And how does that work? Are you in the film? Are you part of the film? Do you look all around? And how do you shoot that if that's going to be a thing? Is that, you know, I mean, I don't know. Yes, I should imagine it'll go that way. I, I don't know how that's going to be done. <laughs> Keep waiting for Josephine Bonaparte. Yeah, the, the terror. You're going to have your head chopped <laughs> off and world. be in the centre of it. Yeah. <laughs> We do have time for one more question. There's two down, double act down here. Do you together? You, two? you are together. That's nice. Um, but, but I'll get wait for a microphone. Thank you, Kira, for a lovely, lovely evening. Um, my question is: do you, Would you ever consider directing a film? Um, would I consider right now? No because my kid is really small and it's really tiring. Um, uh, no, I, you know, I think what directors are, ha have to be brilliant at, as well as the creative side, is the management of people. Um, and as an actor, you can simply be in your own bubble and you don't have to really participate in the management of different egos and uh, getting different things from people. I mean, it's almost like being a diplomat, really, isn't it? I was watching this thing about the Foreign Office. I don't know if anyone else has seen it. I thought, fuck, I couldn't be a diplomat. I'd just be going in there being like, fuck off! Um, which, obviously, you cannot do if you're a director or a diplomat. <laughs> so, yeah, so at the point when I've realised how I could put that back in my mouth, I might think more about being a director, but never a diplomat. <laughs> you could probably sort out Brexit like that. Though, well, maybe. Someone's yeah, got to do who knows? It. She must, God knows, she must think that every day, poor yeah. woman. Uh, the gentleman next no, to you, no, no, that was enough. That was it. <laughs> he got enough glory, that's really sweet. Uh, there was one more question, I think we've just got time. Right at the back, go on, I'm going to, so, going to make you do one last sprint all the way to the back for our final question for Kira. Hi, I, I noticed that you have a producing involvement in a film and development, at least if IMDb Pro is correct, and I'm curious about what sort of producing involvements you're hoping to have, what sort of projects. Um, I think there's two, actually. Um, yeah, yeah, there is. Uh, there's two. Uh, what, oh, I don't know what to say about one. One of them was an idea that I wanted to have, and it actually transpired that two friends of mine who were producers already owned the rights to it. So we've coupled up um, and got the first uh, draft of a script, uh, which was great. And the other one is with Fox uh, Searchlight, um, which, again, is based on a book which uh, my agents, I sort of went, they went, look, are you interested in this? And I went, yes, I'm interested in this. And so let's try and put it together and have lots of discussions about which writers we want and which, how we see it going and what format we want it in. You know, I mean, I, I think there's a reality, which is that um, um, I think possibly I might have to create my own work, you know. Um, and so I, I've got to look at that in a realistic way uh, and try and create that work. 
Why do you, why so, why do you say you, you might have to do it? Because of your situation, because of the ED and you don't want it to travel and there's something you, you get more agency when you do it? You do get more agency when you do it, but no, I mean, I, I think the field is pretty crowded, you know, mm. <laughs> realistically. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I think uh, in order to survive, possibly I'll, I'll have to take control of that. Possibly. Mm. Well, I can't wait for you to do that. You're doing all right anyway, as we've all seen right. today. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, if in, let's say, nearly 20 years of an extraordinary life in pictures, please thank Kira Knightley. Thank you very much. Thank you.